Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 64. And guess what, y'all? I met Creep Mom. And guess what, y'all? I fucking didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not okay with it. (laughs) Yeah, because of course Carrie has the most random shit happened to her. (laughs) And she's been sick and like on the verge of death for a week. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Who the fuck gets salmonella in 2012? <laughs> it's 19. Oh. Definitely 19. I was, I, it went to my brain. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 2012, whatever. <laughs> I mean, numbers. <laughs> and then it went to my ankle. Uh, sure the fuck did. Swole up as big as my fucking head. <laughs> and that's a big one. On her fucking ankle. For no goddamn reason. No reason. No pebble involved. Mm-mm. No Nothing. tripping. No. No sliding. No slipping. <laughs> no twisting. No shouting. <laughs> okay, sing the whole song. <laughs> Put your thing down, flip it, and reverse it. It's your affirmation, man. <laughs> That's what I was saying to my ankle. Man, man. <laughs> what the fuck happened? Mm-hmm. She was saying a lot more, y'all. Because she was in, like, level 15 pain, had to go to the doctor, and guess what? Yeah, it's not broken. It's not sprained. It's from salmonella. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? Like, like they call it basically like reactive arthritis. Like, what? <laughs> who the fuck gets that shit? I'll tell you. Um, Like, 5 to 10% of the people who get salmonella. <laughs> I looked the it up. one motherfucking time in my life I'm special. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I looked it up because I was like, what the fuck? How do you, what do you do? Because, you know, she's like my everything. So, I'm like, oh, God. Do and so, it's like, yeah, like, such a small percentage I'm like, what? Why? Of course. Of course, Carrie did. Like, the, I, I bet people at work were like, the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> because I come back from death, and mm-hmm. they're like, you were out so long with a stomach virus? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it wasn't just stomach. It was salmonella. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I'm all good Thursday at work. Like, well, I mean, my stomach wasn't good, but my foot was good. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Friday, I come back. And I'm fucking hobble on Cassidy. <laughs> and she's still like that, folks. She is recording with a boot on. Mm-hmm. So. Got a scooter. Got a mm. boot. <laughs> got some crutches. And we got stories. But before we do, I want to get back to Creep Mom. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's okay. That was a huge tangent. <laughs> and if you don't know, Creep Mom is Teresa Brundage. She's one of our moderators in our group. Freaking amazing. She actually lived in Mississippi for a few years, graduated the same fucking high school that we mm-hmm. went to. And so she had family that she was going to visit. And of course, you know, we are her adoptive family. So of course we wanted to meet up and we had it all planned for months. Then, you know, plague number 455 happened with Carrie. Couldn't do it. So I met with her and her husband, David, and bless his heart. He had to sit through me talking a lot, but God, Creek Mom is so beautiful, so sweet, so freaking funny. I absolutely love her. Like, I want to spend so much more time with her. I, oh my gosh, like, y'all, it was amazing. And I hate y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have been there and we could have done all the things that we planned, but. I will get to finally meet her at the True Crime Podcast Festival next month in Chicago. So if y'all want to meet us 
and Creep Mom and tons of other podcasters, including our friends over at The Haunted Heart that I know a lot of y'all listen to as well. So come join us at the True Crime Podcast Festival the weekend of July 13th in Chicago. Oh, and little Choop Choop from mm-hmm. last episode, two people talked to me about some weird coincidences where they listened to our episode and they went back to whatever they were doing before, you know, like when they got home. And it was about El Chupacabra. What? Yes. Like, what the freak? That's crazy. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, I had to say that. And last but not least, we have new Patreoners. Thank you all so freaking much. Especially Karen O. from Florida. Megan H. from Mississippi, our childhood friend. (laughs) (laughs) Still Magnolias, eh? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to be part of the Creepinati and get a shout-out, get extra bonus content, all of that stuff, we do phone wallpapers, all of that great good stuff, you can join at www.patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. Thank you all so freaking much for all of your support. We hope you look forward to your letters, stickers, bonus content, and we promise that the video, thank you videos, for the tears that get it, they are coming, we promise. The plague has been upon us. <laughs> All right, I go first. Okay, so Creep Mom and I did a live at Dairy Queen because, you know, we had to get some sweets. But people were asking about a story about my mama and stuff. And I was like, God, I can't really think of anything on the spot. And my emotions were high because Creep Mom was there and all of this stuff. Well, I actually have one now and it One pertains to this case I'm going to talk about loosely. And then one is just kind of like a palate cleanser that's going to get us into carries. But I'm going to wait till the end of my story. So there you go. Be on the edge of your seat for a mama story. Picture it. Utah County, Utah. It's close to Ballard and kind of close to Salt Lake City, like an hour or two away, I think. There is this 480-acre spread of rich, well-watered pasture. It is a rancher's paradise. It's divided into three sections, and each section being a former homestead. Wait, I thought you were about to tell a story about Patty Joe. Oh, I meant both of them at the end. Oh, well, shit. You know, I'm not clear. I mean, just like my mama. There you go. That's the Patty Joe story. (laughs) (laughs) said loosely based. (laughs) (laughs) So there's thick brush and a small river on one side and then a rocky, picturesque ridge on the other side. And then there's this long dirt road and it's the only way in and out of this ranch. Super remote, super beautiful, and super fucking weird. So before I tell you the meat and potatoes, I want to give you some mozzarella sticks. Okay. (laughs) I totally wrote that down. And then I said, AKA history. Look, I never said I was a writer, okay? It's just a free-flowing thought. So, the earliest mention of unexplainable phenomena. Phenomena. Yes. In the region is from the late 1700s. And that's when Spanish explorers were in search of the Spanish Trail. They passed by the Uintah Basin, which is the site of the future ranch. And they reported seeing strange lights in the sky over their campfires at night. 
So there's a nearby Fort Duchesne. It's now a town, but at one time it was it was an army fort. We're talking like 19th century. So all of this is in reservation country. In the early 19th century, the Navajo claimed this basin as their property. It had fresh water, prime hunting grounds. So they're like, yes. Well, the Utes were like, the grass is greener on the other fucking side and we want it. They were aggressive and they acquired horses from the Spanish. And so they're like, we're going to do what the Spanish do. And that is attack the Navajo. And they're, we're going to get them and sell them into slavery. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's terrible. Like, that shit pisses me off. Like, you come into somebody else's shit to take that shit for your own and then destroy them. Like, that is such yes. bullshit. And, I mean, I know that's how America started, and I'm, but fuck. I know. And later, during the American Civil War, some of the Utes took orders from Kit Carson, and they were in a military campaign against the Navajo. Well, in the spring of 1864, over 8,000 Navajo men, women, and children were forced to march over 300 miles to Fort Sumner, New Mexico. Approximately 200 Navajo died during the two-month-long march, and it's known as the Long Walk of the Navajo. Well, the legend goes that the Navajo retaliated with a curse, and it was in the form of a skinwalker. What? And from that point on, the Native people deemed that the Uintah Basin was unholy ground because it was the path of a skinwalker. And it wasn't all of this land. It's this one ridge that I said earlier is on one side of this land, but it all is on this acreage. Okay. So the most long story shirt (laughs) elevator pitch of a skinwalker is it's a witch, male or female, that is capable of transforming itself into an animal. It could be a wolf, coyote, bear, bird, whatever they want it to be. And that witch might wear the hide or the skin of the animal identity. And then when that transformation is complete, it inherits the speed, strength, and all of the capabilities that the animal possesses. So like, okay, so like they would kill an animal, wear its hide, and then become it? Oh, no, it goes further. Hold on. Okay. But wait, there's more. God, that scared me. (laughs) There's this guy who is an anthropologist. His name is Dan Benishak, I think is how you say it. And he specializes in the study of Native Americans in the Southwest. And he says that skinwalkers are purely evil in intent. He said they do all sorts of terrible things. They make people sick. They can make people kill themselves. (gasps) And they can commit murders. They are grave robbers. They are necrophiliacs. (gasps) And he said, ultimately, they are greedy and evil people. And you know how you said, oh, they just kill an animal and they assume Mm -hmm. their abilities? No. They must kill a sibling or another relative to be initiated as a skinwalker. And some people, he didn't say this, but I read that some people say they have to eat (gasps) that person. 
well, God, a skinwalker could do so much good. Like, if they're able to, like, get the capabilities and all that of whatever, like, yeah. it could be fucking Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. They could, but no, they gotta be the bad guy. I mean, it's fun being the bad guy. <laughs> Until you gotta eat your sister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Okay. The Navajo are very cautious, and they will not speak openly about the skinwalkers, especially with strangers, outsiders, because they fear that if they do, that's to invite the attention of the witch, the skinwalker, whatever. And so they say, like, me talking about it right now. Why do you always do this shit to us? (laughs) It could be inviting. Why the one. fuck you always do this shit to us? But I will say that skinwalkers are are known usually just to target Native Americans. Okay. <laughs> You're like, okay, never mind. But I will say that there have been people who have claimed to encounter skinwalkers while they are driving on or near tribal land. So just be careful where you're going after you hear this or while you're listening to this. At night, their eyes are said to glow red like hot coals. It is said that if you see the face of a skinwalker, they have to kill you. If you see one and you know who it is, they will die. How you know who it is? Well, if you recognize them. Like you know, hey, they're a skinwalker or hey, that's Janet, the skinwalker. Yeah, it'd be like... That skinwalker looks kind of like Janet, whatever. And, yeah, it's like they lose their power and... Okay. I don't know. I'm, like, thinking Disney here. So, it's like they lose their power and then they die because it's like they're forever old. You know, like on Tangled where it's... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of things are not known about them because... You die when you see them. (laughs) Well, because it's sacred to the Navajo. Yeah. And, I mean, here I am being a bitch and talking about them. So, on the flip side, if you see one and you don't know who it is, then they have to kill you because you can't find out who it is. It's literally, I can't tell you or I'd have to kill you. Yeah. They use a mixture that some people call corpse powder and they blow it into your face. Your tongue turns black and you go into convulsions and you eventually die after a slow and painful death. Oh, no. You know, at least if you're going to kill me, fucking make it quick. Right? The Navajo have learned of ways to protect themselves against evil like this. But they don't really share it because, I mean, hello. You mm-hmm. can't just be like, hey, we have this cure, but we're going to share it with everyone here. Yeah. No. And also, it's not just the Navajo who have skinwalkers. It's all all different tribes and stuff. They all have different variations and whatever. But we're just focusing on the Navajo right now because of this legend. For as long as anyone can remember, this part of northeastern Utah has been the site for all this fucking UFO shit, paranormal activity, like Bigfoot, all kinds of weird shit going on up there. Junior Hicks is like the area's unofficial historian. He's a retired school teacher. He has cataloged over 400 events or incidences, and most of them involve UFO sightings. 
and he estimates that at least half of the 50,000 residents of this basin have seen weird things in the sky, all kinds of, you know, things you cannot explain. And so many different claims have been filed that local police, they don't take shit anymore because, I mean, they're too busy. Yeah. Junior Hicks also said, like, the UFO activity really started up. It really started getting intense in the early 50s. And I found an article that was published back then, and I'll put it on our website. So, wait, how does the skinwalker and the UFO shit? Am I jumping ahead? Yes. Calm your tits. Okay, okay. Okay. So, now, zooming back to talk about the ranch. It's a rancher's paradise. It was heaven on earth. Until it all went to hell. Dun, dun, dun. In 1994, the ranch had been vacant for seven years. The Shermans, Terry, Gwen, their teenage son, and their nine-year-old daughter all moved in. This was their dream home. They were fucking stunned that a place like this was up for sale. Terry Sherman was an expert in artificial insemination and cattle. He raised cattle and, like... Not cheap, just cattle. This was, like, high-end, hybrid kind of cattle. Mm Mm-hmm. His wife, Gwen, was a VP of a bank in town. So they're educated. They're successful. Their two kids are straight-A students. You know, perfect life, perfect house, all of that great good stuff. On the day that they moved the furniture into the house... They had their first event that should have, you know, told them, like, uh, something's weird. Like, rut row. Yeah. But you know how that goes. They spotted an extremely large wolf. And it was out in the pasture. But it kind of cautiously made its way across the field to him. Its head was down, very docile. And it was kind of acting like someone's pet. They weren't scared of it. It had rained earlier that day, and one of the family members remembers that it smelled like wet dog when they reached down and, like, brushed the fur on the back. Like, that's how calm they were around this insanely large wolf. Like, not not just, like, a regular wolf. This was, like... A twilight wolf. Yes. I mean, they didn't, you know, talk or anything like that. I don't think those wolves did either. Yes, they did. They had their, like, mind thing. I could, I did not like that. And I was banned from going to see the other ones with people. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, I was. Tiffany, you can tell, you can tell them. Well, like, really, this wolf was so big. It came up to the dad's chesticles. So after a few minutes, the wolf just kind of casually strolled over to the corral where they had calves calves whatever the things that go moo all of them had backed away from the gate all but one suddenly the wolf grabbed this calf by its snout that was poking through the bars (gasps) yeah and it attempted to pull it through the corral bars so terry began hitting it and terry's dad was actually there helping him unload well he got a stick too and was like hitting it in its back because Hello, stop. Yes, and it's like, I mean, they don't want to hurt this fucking animal, but also this animal is 
like a prized like this shit's expensive yeah like and if you they let him take that one calf good lord good lord how many times gonna come back and take more that's a lot of money exactly that's their livelihood exactly so terry grabbed a 357 magnum which i don't really know a lot about guns but i think that's impressive from his truck he shot the wolf at point blank range the bullet had no fucking noticeable effect. Oh, my God. The wolf is still pulling on this snout, trying to drag the calf's hole. Through the hole. Yeah, through that hole. Oh, my gosh. So, he fired another bullet. Nothing. Nothing. And so, he fired another one. Finally, the wolf kind of let go of the calf and just turned around looking at him. Well, then he shot two more times. The wolf backed off a little bit, but still no sign of distress, no blood. I was just about to say, no blood? Yeah, no, nothing. So he's like, what the fuck? And he's still up. There's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with him. So he grabbed a hunting rifle and shot the wolf again, again at close range. And he's a hunter. He's a marksman. Yeah. He's, you know, like, it's not me trying to fucking fire a BB gun at a raccoon at three in the morning. <laughs> I mean, and BTW, the BB gun didn't work. <laughs> the raccoon won. Mm-hmm. Uninjured. Un-anything. I mean, and I didn't want to hurt the raccoon because I love them, but at three in the morning, Marley barks and yeah. Honestly, you wouldn't even have shot no. it. You would have just shot around it to scare the shit oh, out Oh yeah. Like, like, I mean. Get him out of here. And when that didn't work, I uh, threw a centronella little, like, tea candle at it. And it was like, huh? (laughs) Smelled it. It was like, oh, it's not food? I'll go back to this. (laughs) I was like, you win. Anyway, so Terry fired the final shot. And it caused a chunk of hair and flesh to come off of the wolf this time. No blood, just this big chunk to come off. And then the wolf kind of casually trotted through the pasture, through the woods. And so he's like going to track it. Like, okay, if I don't kill this thing now, Mm -hmm. it's going to come back. It knows where it is. Like all the things you just said. He followed its footprints through the mud. And then suddenly the tracks ended. And it was like the wolf had vanished into thin air. So he returned to the corral area and he examined that chunk of wolf flesh and and he said that it looked and smelled like rotten meat. Oh. He said it smelled like it had been out in the sun for like a week. Oh, I gross. Know. I know. Oh, really? <laughs> he asked his neighbors and like no one ever said they knew like, oh yeah, there's huge wolves mm-hmm. and, you know, they're tame and all of this shit. Like they were like, no, nah, we hadn't seen that. And I'm totally skipping ahead here, but... When the researchers come, which we know some someone's going to come mm-hmm. because we have all this information, so it's not like a spoiler alert. But they basically made a lineup of different wolves, different animals that this could have been. And mm-hmm. every single member of the family independently pointed to the exact same one. And it was a dire wolf. And that has been extinct for like 10,000 years. What? Yeah. Another weird thing, when they moved in, they noticed that they had these giant stakes with heavy fucking chains on them. They were at both the front door and on the side door. 
And so they're like, I mean, I guess these people had really big fucking guard dogs. I don't know why, but okay. I mean, some people use them for their protection, I guess. Like, okay. But that wasn't all. They noticed that all of the doors had locks on them on both sides, bolts and locks. What? And that includes the interior doors. (gasps) And the kitchen cabinets. What? Yeah. George Knapp, who's a paranormal journalist, a huge fucking deal. He is basically like Ron Burgundy of the paranormal. Uh, He does Coast to Coast. All Mm of... Mm -hmm. Huge. He said that he contacted the previous owners, but they said they had no idea what they were talking about. They didn't have these logs. What? Yes, you did. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I wrote, right. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the reason why the weird locks, maybe they were just super paranoid. Maybe they had really bad kids. Maybe they (laughs) took Ambien. I don't fucking know. Maybe they were like Oprah. She padlocked her refrigerator after 7 (laughs) p.m. Okay. I don't know how you know that fact. Uh, Because I watched Oprah. She was so she wouldn't eat after 7 p.m. Oh. Like when all her, like, chef and everybody left, they locked the refrigerator. Oh. Hello, I watched Oprah too, and I never found that tidbit out. So, reasoned away the locks, reasoned away the wolf. And I guess, I mean, you really do that when you love something. You reason shit away that you shouldn't. I mean, this was their dream house, so it's like... Yeah. Okay, we really love this house. Well, they probably sunk a lot of money into it. They've already got all the cows there. Yeah. All right, well, a few weeks later, Gwen, the wife, she encountered a wolf that was so large... That its back was parallel to the top of her car. What? Yes. And it was a Chevette. Do you remember that? My mom Mm -hmm. and them had one. It was... uh, Really? Yeah. It was like a tan color. But it was so tall that it had to bend down and look in the window at her. And she said that it like fogged up her window with its hot breath. And he wasn't alone though. There was this dog-like animal... That she really couldn't identify, and he just stared at her, and he was kind of off in a little bit of a distance, but he had, like, a really big head for a dog. So, it was just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Okay. So, the most active part of their property was kind of the middle homestead, which is where their house was, and, I mean, of course, because that's where all this shit, Mm -hmm. like, Where they are most of the time, you know? Where all the energy is. Yeah. Almost immediately after they settled in, they started to experience poltergeist activity. Ooh. Your favorite. They felt someone or something watching them the entire time that they were there. Almost every day, there would be some sort of moving or flying object that shouldn't have been moving or flying on its own, like frying pans, spatulas. Shit was ramping up. Gwen would take showers every morning, you know, like... You do. Yeah. So, she would put a towel and her hairbrush on the sink, lock the door, and, you know, take her shower. When she got out, both of them were gone. And they they would find them later, random places. Like, the hairbrush would be in the freezer, towel would be in the oven. What? Oh, that's a fire hazard. (laughs) Right? And so, this would happen so many times... She would go to the grocery store, buy a lot of groceries. They live on the ranch. Not, you know, they don't have a Walmart, like, five minutes away. So, they buy up a lot of groceries so they don't have to go back and forth. Yeah. So, she'd take all the bags in, 
place them on the kitchen table, then sort them, put them in the cabinets and all that. She'd leave, go on about her business, come back, and all of the groceries would be back in their bags. Which, don't do that, because that is my least favorite fucking mm-hmm. part about groceries. Look, don't make extra fucking work for me. No. Gwen thought she was, like, losing her mind. And so she really didn't want to say anything because she thought she had early dementia or mm-hmm. something like that. Because it was, like, random fucking places. Or, like, did I really put up the groceries? Or did I, like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Gwen thought she might be losing her mind, so she didn't want to say anything to anyone. She thought, oh my God, I might have early dementia. Yeah. Whatever. Then something happened to Terry that reassured her that it wasn't her, it was an it. One afternoon, Terry was in the field, and he had a big post hole digger, and they're hard. Yes. Oh my God. I tried to help my dad with the goat pen, and by help tried, I mean like I was like, uh, okay, I'll watch you. And then, okay, I gotta go in. It's hot. Yeah. But, like, he had even a bigger one because, I mean, like, he's legit. Yeah. So, it's, like, 70 fucking pounds. Yeah. You know, we did not have that one. We had, like, a 10-pound one. I mean, it felt like 50 pounds to me, but whatever. So, he stops, takes a break, you know, water, sweat rag, bathroom. He probably used more than two sheets of toilet paper because, fuck you, David Berg. Mm-hmm. And he ain't in a cult. Exactly. Well, he goes back out, and the fucking post hole digger, 70 pounds, is gone. What? Done vanished like a fart in the wind. No one else is out there. The kids and Gwen have been inside all day, which I feel like they were throwing shade at them when they wrote that. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> I feel like you're right. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Inside has air, so fuck you. Like... Fuck you, Terry. Fuck you. Right? <laughs> Damn. You're the one that chose to build a fucking fence instead of hiring that shit done. Right? Well, he searches high and low for it. All of those to and fro. You know he went inside and blamed those kids. Oh, my God. You know, those, you know he did. You know, they were like, we didn't do it, Dad. And he's like, where did you put it? They're like, we didn't do it, Dad. And he's mm-hmm. like, my thing is missing. What did you do with it? We didn't do it, Dad. Mm-hmm. And then him and Gwen had a fight about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Who took this excerpt from my childhood? (laughs) Well, he eventually did find it. Three weeks later, 25 feet up in a cottonwood tree. Holy shit. Yeah. Dangling. Just dangling there. Another time, the sun had to move like a whole quart of wood. It needed to be moved 100 yards. So he got some of his friends. They were going to make a little money. Now he hires the shit done. Yeah. I mean, choose your battles, right? Mm -hmm. So they move all of the wood closer to the house because the dad was going to use it probably to build the fucking fence (laughs) three weeks later. (laughs) Well, they're finished. They go inside, get some refreshments, play some games, you know, Super Mario, Mortal Kombat, some pizza rolls, all the things I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Like at that moment. (laughs) I was going to say, who took uh, the excerpt out of your childhood? (laughs) I mean, true. Well, they go back out there. Whole thing of wood is moved back to the original place. Damn. Yeah. This wasn't the only time, though, because he had some more trickster shit that happened to him. Another time, him and some friends were moving fence poles, again, for this whole fucking project. So, like, big fucking fence poles. 
They spent four hours moving these fence poles. Can I say them one more time? The fence poles? Yes, they moved them. When they went back out after going in, doing all of their necessities, all of it was moved back to the original location almost. It was like two inches off. And so they show his dad and they're like, look, we're not lying. You can see where it was moved. We're not lying. This happened again. Because again, you know. Yeah. He's like, you didn't fucking do it. You know what I mean? Like y'all are in here playing fucking Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. eating up all the pizza rolls. And they're like, but dad, we did. Mm-hmm. He's like, just like my damn pole digger. <laughs> I will say this could be this kid being a fucking genius. So the first time, you know, his dad was like, I don't believe you, you know, whatever. And then he was like, hmm, all right, if I move it just a little bit, like, let's just move it right here. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to say, look, it was moved back. Then we can go play Mortal Kombat, do all the shit. But I really don't think so. Because I feel like that, I mean, well, because I'm picturing like a pile of fence posts. And that would be so heavy. Yes. To slide, like, it would take so much effort to just move them over those couple of inches. Like, yes. you might as well take them all an extra three feet and put them where they go. You know yeah. What I mean? Yes. And I feel like Gwen was probably there mm-hmm. to where, like, it, you know what I mean? She would be like, Wait, why are y'all in already? Mm-hmm. So, I'm just saying. Okay. So, they had several dogs. One time, this one dog had some bad fleas. Well, they put a flea collar on it, like most people do. Very next day, flea collar is gone. Well, okay. Marbu, she, you know, fucks with her collar all the time. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Well, maybe it came loose. All of that. However, the next day, it was back on. No one had put it on because no one could fucking find it. And so, unless this dog was like fucking Scooby-Doo itself, Mm -hmm. I don't think he put it on either. So, this just goes back in line of things being moved. All these little trickster kind of shit happening. And now even the fucking dog. Like, leave the animals alone. Around this time, they had shadows, shapes outside the windows... They heard heavy footsteps outside. Then they started to see the shapes and shadows inside the windows. Hear the footsteps inside the house. And then they started to see the dark shadows at the bottom of their bed at night. Mm -mm. So they really started to get freaked out. Mm -mm. One time they were all outside at night because, you know, they wanted to enjoy their fucking dream property. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful, serene, should have been peaceful. But they would occasionally hear voices, and it seemed to be coming from above their heads. Speaking in a strange language, they thought first it was like a CB or something. Then, like, it went on for different times. Like, it wasn't all the time, whatever. Well, one time, Terry screamed out, we hear you! And the voices stopped, just for a second, and then in like a mocking tone, one of them laughed. Mm-mm. Nope. Mm-mm. They started witnessing bright lights from the sky. And it wasn't just like, oh, it's a light. No, it was like a fucking bright light. You could see the grass detail, all of that. Sometimes it appeared to be coming out of the ground, like a beam of light going up into the sky from the ground. They would hear sounds of machinery, like underground railroads and shit. They would feel the vibrations. 
sometimes this would happen during the day, but it was mostly at night. Oh, and the Myers, who were the original owners who had no idea of all the other shit, they had this strange request that the Shermans would not dig on the property without contacting them first. So it was kind of like, don't mess with the earth kind of shit. So it was kind of like foreshadowing the foreskin. Except for he did with a fucking post digger. True. And that seemed to stir shit up, which, like you said, yes, with the post hole digger, all of that. And also the arrival of strangers and loud noises would stir shit up. They would see weird birds, like Amazon birds. They would see, like, stuff that looked like pterodactyls and shit. There was this one time that a flock of geese were flying in the V formation, Mighty Duck style. When they got over the ranch house on the middle homestead, it was like they ran into an invisible wall. They all just scattered and some fell from the sky. Oh my God. They had just a fuck ton of weird animals. Like I said, with the birds, they came back home one time and they saw this weird wolf kind of creature, but it had like a big foxtail, all weird shit, but it was attacking some of their horses and it clawed one of the horses like hindquarters. It left when they drove up, but the claw marks were still there. Like, so something did attack it. You know, it was Mm -hmm. kind of validation for them. And it wasn't just them seeing it. Neighbors started seeing weird shit. Local lawmen saw it, you know, like, it's not just these, this family like it is most times where it's it's in this family and no one else sees it and you can't do whatever. And like, no, other eyewitnesses who are reputable right. in the community. In April of 95, the weirdness drastically escalated. While checking on his cattle one night, he saw headlights in part of the third homestead, kind of on the outskirts of his property. It looked like an RV or something. So he's like, okay, someone's either trespassing. They've broken down. Like something, let me go see. And he actually had his nephew there. So they go. They're walking over there. And the lights start kind of getting closer. So, okay. And they get closer. And then when they're like, all right, we got them. Because I think a fence is over here. You know, so like, we got them. We are going to see who these people are. And then all of a sudden, the lights went up and over the trees that are 50 feet tall and into the sky. Like the whole RV did? Uh Uh-huh. Because it wasn't a fucking RV. It was in a box shape, kind of like an RV. And that's just what he thought, because who thinks? Yeah. You know, it's a fucking alien spaceship. Hmm. A few days later, Gwen saw another UFO. She said it looked like a silver disc. That was in broad daylight. It was over the mountains. So it wasn't just at night. Then their cattle started being attacked. They had an 80 head herd. And these were expensive fucking cows. The first cow found dead. And it was shortly after a UFO sighting. Showed only a hole in the center of its left eyeball. Oh my God. Uh Uh-huh. The whole animal had not been hurt. There was no blood or anything. It was just this big hole in its eyeball. And Terry said he smelled a very chemical smell in the same vicinity as the animal. 
Then a short time later, a second cow was found dead with the same hole in the same like left eyeball. With both of these animals, Terry took a wire, inserted it in <gasps> into the hole just to gauge like how fucking big is this hole? Like why uh-huh. why is this hole? And he said the wire slipped in easily to the center of the brain. Oh shit. Now some of their cows start going missing and even more weird shit starts to happen. They started getting crop circles and different formations. One configuration was a 30-foot triangle. Some other ones were like three feet wide. One was two feet deep. He started having more trouble with his herd. Tom had two certain cows in the special corral. He looked outside, saw they were both laying on the ground outside of the corral. So he rushed the fuck over because he's like, what the fuck? They are special, like, fucking expensive. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? Well, both of them had their front legs broken. (gasps) No. Yes. So he goes back into the house to get the gun to put them down. No. When he comes back, the cows are gone. (gasps) He goes back in, and when he comes back outside, both of them are back. What? But this time, all four of their legs are broken. No, 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 no. Oh, my God. No. George Knapp said it was like they were dropped from the sky. Okay, 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 okay. I can't talk about it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Another time, Terry followed tracks of a cow in the fresh snow, and the tracks just stopped. And it was under some trees, like, at an edge of the field. Well, the area was surrounded by a circle of fresh twigs and branches, which Terry could see had come from the trees above. Mm-hmm. But it's like, where the fuck did this cow go then? Because I don't see any other footprints. So, over the months, they keep seeing UFOs. The cows keep getting mutilated. And one of the most, like, whoa moments here is Terry said that they would see 100-foot circular openings appear in the air. It was like four orange-colored doorways. And they would just kind of spiral open. So, they had bought a high-powered scope because now they have to be able to see it. They're not being able to see it with their own fucking eyes. So, let's let's try to do it this way. Well, when they would look through it at this spiraling opening, they saw a small craft emerge from that portal. It would fly around the property and then re-enter that portal. And they described it as a stealthy small craft. And it was like 60 by 40 feet, kind of squarish with short wings. And Terry said that it looked like they were flying on a grid. And they would also emit spikes of light, which would hit the ground. So he thought it was some sort of like navigational system. Because there is like that Fort Duchesne close. So he's like, maybe it's something. Always by military base. Right? Well, in all, 14 of his prized animals were either sliced up or vanished. No. And then when the researchers come in, it got close to 30, 30 of them. That's like almost half of their... Yeah. God. Yeah. What? Okay, here's another oh. trigger warning. There was this one time... A cow was found mutilated just five minutes after the sun had checked in on it. Probably to feed it something, you know, yeah. he left. 
And then he came back and something had cut a hole six inches wide and eight inches deep. But then I read somewhere that it was 18 inches deep. So I don't know if someone fat fingered because I do that sometimes. You but do the voodoo mm-hmm, that you do? Mm-hmm. But okay, here it is. In the cow's rectum. What? Yeah. It like kind of cored out that section and it extended all the way into the body cavity. But there's no blood, and it had snow all around it. No blood. But did it, is it dead? Yeah. Do we think it suffered? I don't think so, because, I mean, I feel like it was minutes after, so something had to be, like, fast. With all of the losses and everything, they were close to having to file bankruptcy and all of that. Well, one April afternoon, Terry and Gwen took a quick drive to town for supplies. Well, as they passed the corral that had their four bulls in it, they both commented, which you should never do, but they both commented like, you know, it's been, it's been pure shit, but at least nothing's happened to those bulls. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. You never comment like that. No, you don't. Because when they returned to the ranch... Less than an hour, all of the four bulls were gone. (gasps) They were frantic and searched everywhere. And just to happen, Terry looked in this white, it's like a white little trailer, like a shed Mm -hmm. with one door, you know, like a small window. He saw some movement and so he looked in there. And there they all were. What? In this tiny fucking shed. He yelled to Gwen that he found them. And the bulls seemingly woke up from some dream state and started to kick all of this because, hello, we're sardines in this fucking thing. Well, they're like, okay, there's no way that anyone could coax one fucking bull in this little trailer, Mm -hmm. much less four But also, the one door that you can enter was fastened with a wire, and there was cobwebs on the wire in the door, like it had not been fucking opened. What? Yeah. So, how did they get in there? But at least they weren't harmed. Like, but it's just like that trickster shit. Mm -hmm. You know, just like, haha, watch this. I mean, it's shit that I would do. (laughs) They would see the lights repeatedly in the field. One time they looked through again that scope and they saw what Terry described as a person who was over seven feet tall, decked in totally a black uniform and huge. They said that it appeared that he had a visor on or something because how their light reflected, it was, it made his face shiny. His dogs also seemed to develop paranoia They would stay inside their dog houses for days at a time, too fearful to emerge for food and all of that. Like, that breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. Six of the family's cats were gone in one night and never returned. Mm -mm. And during all of this time that all of this was occurring, Gwen and Terry started having dreams at night. And they were the same dreams. You know, they'd wake up and be like, I had the strangest dream. Me too. And they'd talk about it. Same dream. And it was always about the beans in the sky that they would be watching over them. And they were talking about them. 
And they would say, Terry, he knows. He knows where we are. What? Mm Mm-hmm. And this would occur multiple times. And one time when they woke up, they both had, like, scoop marks on their hands. (gasps) So, whatever it was, it was there to scare the hell out of them. So, it's like, what happened? Why did they have these little scoop marks? All I'm picturing is, like, a melon baller. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing, too. Which is, ew. Mm -hmm. Y'all, there's so much, like going on at Skinwalker Ranch that it's, I mean, fucking crazy. There was this one time this, like, guy randomly showed up and he said he was drawn to the property and he wanted to meditate. So Terry was like, okay, sure, like, you can meditate right here. You know, because I think he was just like, let's get him gone. Mm -hmm. So he, like, tilted his head towards the sky, started meditating, you know, And they start hearing cowbells off in the distance. And then he's like, you know what? I don't have any fucking cowbells on my cows. Like, what am I hearing? And then they see this thing moving through the trees. And it's like camouflaged. Where you know how you can see something, but you can't see it. Mm -hmm. It's like a clear outline. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's how this was. It came out of the trees Goes right to that dude, and it, like, roars in its face. The guy, like, jumped backwards, probably fear farted, and, like, falls to the ground. Whatever it was, just goes back into the trees, and he is, like, petrified, like, has, you know, has to get help up. And he said, this is Satan. This is devil. It's evil. (gasps) Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And why were you drawn here? Another eerie phenomena, they started noticing some blue balls. And I'm not talking about Terry's. No, they were like glowing blue balls. And they would move around the property and give off a crackling sound, like electricity mm-hmm. kind of sound. They seemed to be intelligent and responsive. And they could either hover or move incredibly fast. One time it was standing by a horse's face and just like hovering around while Gwen put a flashlight on it and it zoomed out of focus and it went over to Terry and it kind of approached him like it was inspecting him, like Hmm. just kind of going around. So he got to see it up close and he said it was a glass ball the size of a baseball and it contained two blue fluids that intermingled with each other. And he said that was the most scared he had ever been in his life. Mm -hmm. So later that evening, you know, they went inside. They see the blue balls have returned. And this time it's hovering in face of a cow. So they're like, look, I'm not going out there, but let's just get the dogs, let them out. And it'll chase off just like when Gwen had the flashlight on it. Mm -hmm. So they coax the dogs out. They started chasing after the blue balls you know, going. Well, they watched the dogs. They followed them into the wooded area. And then they lost sight of everything. But then they heard a piercing yelp. Oh. And the three dogs didn't return. (gasps) So they said, okay, we'll wait until the morning and see what's going on. Because they couldn't risk themselves going out there. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So they go out there and they find three burned circles in the woods. And in each circle, they discover a greasy blob. And they said it looked almost like butter. Ew. Yeah. And the trees above those burned rings had like a scorched appearance. And the grass eventually grew back, but the trees never did. And they never found their dogs. So what they believe is that that buttery like substance was like their liquefied dogs. Oh, that's like disgusting and heartbreaking at the same time. I know, I know. Well, the dogs were the final straw for Gwen and Terry. They just couldn't go on without their dogs. And they were like, we can't guarantee the safety of anyone. Our children, ourselves, we have to call it quits. But we we want to put the ranch up for sale. But we also can't put anyone else at risk. Mm -hmm. And to even make matters worse, the stress was unbelievable. The teenagers were not sleeping. Their grades dropped. You know, I mean, at some points, they were all sleeping together on the floor in their living room. That's so sad. Yeah. I mean, they had no idea what to do. So they decided, okay, let's go public, but we're not, you know, going to call in, like, huge news stuff. We're just going to let a few articles be written and see if anyone can help us. So they were put in touch with this Las Vegas millionaire, Robert Bigelow, and he had a brother named Deuce. <laughs> this whole time, I had not even fucking thought about that. <laughs> oh, my God. Missed opportunity by me. <laughs> he was interested in UFOs and paranormal stuff. And he had made his money with budget hotels, like doing weekly rents and stuff like that. Because in Las Vegas, at this time, when he had made his money, it was still like mobs and all that crap. You know, like what Mm -hmm. we discussed in that bonus episode that time. So, in September of 96, the deal was finalized. He bought the ranch. And he also bought some of their cattle. And he hired Terry on as an overseer of that operation. Because he knew... Like, they didn't want to do it, really, but they were like, okay, you can live off property, but you have to come back and tend to these because they didn't know what the fuck to do. Mm -hmm. But also, they know, okay, it usually occurs here. It does this. You know, like, they would have spent years trying to figure out all of the ins and outs Mm -hmm. if Terry wasn't there. Robert Bigelow, he, he had founded this thing called National Institute for Discovery Science, they call it NIDS for short. And they studied like French science, paranormal anomalies. So they built these lookout towers on the property. And they also put dog runs around them. And it was to monitor how the dogs would react when they felt that activity was present. Kind of like biosensors. Mm-hmm. The odd thing about these, every time that they would put the dogs in these dog runs, within minutes the gates were open and the dogs would get out. So they had to start putting locks on the gates, and it would still happen. Locks would disappear. So it was that fucking trickster stuff again. Yeah. Well, on March 10th, 1997, the team gets a phone call from Terry, and he said that an 84-pound calf had been silently killed in the daylight. Oh, my God. They had just put a tag on the ear of the calf, 
And then they were going about their business, doing some more stuff for about 45 minutes. Well, they were about 200 yards away in the same pasture. And the calf was completely stripped of flesh. (gasps) They were alerted by the wail of the mother of the calf. Yes. Could have done without that detail. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. That, like, hurts my heart. I know. Like, literally, I, I have a pain. I know. That's indigestion, but it's yes. It's not. It's, God. I know. It's so sad. Well, the team, like, Criminal Minds, they... Wheels up in 30. Exactly. Get on their private jet. In five hours, they're standing over the dead calf. All of the internal organs are gone. <gasps> Rib cage is ripped open, and it is, like... Spread eagle on the pasture. Oh, my God. The limbs have been forcibly ripped from their ball and socket joints. (laughs) And an ear is gone. The tag deer? Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) I know, I know, but I could just see you, like, interesting. And, like, write that down in your notebook. (laughs) You know, like. (laughs) They did, like, a forensic analysis and basically, like, an animal autopsy. And they determined that sharp instruments had been used to remove the ear. And they said it was like a heavy machete instrument was used. Not a drop of blood was found near or on the calf. So, completely spooked. Like, what the fuck? Nothing was there. Did they take pictures of this? Yes. I I will have a picture on the website. Okay. I will have a picture. It's going to be a link to the picture. Two days later at... Almost midnight, the dogs, the biosensor dogs, go berserk. The NIDS team and Terry, they hop in the truck and drive through the pasture where the cattle are, you know, clearly panicked. They're spooked. And they see a bouncing headlight. And then they see, like, two eyes staring from a tree. So, obviously, a large animal. And then another large shadow seen by a team member below the tree. So, they shoot up at the tree. They see it drop to the ground through the rifle scope. And they, you know, jump in the truck again, run over to that spot. They're like, see another one. Shoot sad. If you tell me this is that something horned owl, Donna, I swear to God. (laughs) (laughs) No. Well, I mean, it's just like they're shooting. Things are falling. They're chasing. You know, it's just like. Sounds oddly familiar. Yeah. Well, they go through, it's all trees now, they're going through, going through, and they're like, we're going to see what this fucking creature is, because it's definitely wounded, it's dropped to the ground, and they see some weird tracks in the snow, and it kind of looks like large raptor with claws, but they spend hours hunting, like, they do a search grid, because these are scientists, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not just like, well, you know, like, let's look what their flashlight's like. No, they're like, mm-hmm. let's fucking do this. Nothing. They cannot find anything. Okay, so this one incident, it's not with cattle. It's not with any animal, okay? Is it with a human? Because that's the only place we can go from here. No, no, it's with equipment. So Colonel John Alexander, he was a colonel in the Army. He's in NIDS. He's dealing with that. Well, he said all of these cameras were set up to record all of this activity because they they want to record all of this shit. Mm-hmm. They want proof. 
well, it has date, timestamps. So they're like, okay, we're going to know everything. You know where the first corral was, where that big wolf was, the mm-hmm. very first? That's where they had put all these cameras up. There were like four of them. Well, one time they went by and they saw some cameras that were messed up. Because wires lead into one camera were like fixed to the pole. Like they had like large fucking poles, had duct tape all around all the shit. He said probably like half a roll. All that duct tape was totally missing. And he said, can you imagine pulling that duct tape off? And in the heat, like it had probably, you know, even Mm -hmm. just like intensified the hold. Also near the ground, the wires had been protected from the animals because they had some cattle there. They had been encased in PVC tubing and it was held to the poles via U-clamps. Well, the PVC had been pulled loose from the poles. The U-clamps were missing. And these cameras, obviously, you couldn't record 24-7. That took up way too much storage and shit. This was in, like, 97, mm-hmm. you know? Well, they it was on a time lapse. And so, it would snap, like, one frame a second. So, you know, I mean, it's a time lapse. Mm-hmm. He said also that the cattle had been grazing right around that camera that, and that one pole that was now fucked up. At the same moment, they didn't have any, you know, they didn't act scared. They didn't act like they heard anything. Yeah. So if someone was around, they would have fucking at least looked. So John Alexander is like, look, we caught nothing on these cameras. The other cameras that were pointing to this one camera that's damaged caught absolutely nothing. Because, you know, these scientists were like, okay, we got something then. Mm -hmm. This was fucking vandalized. So if we got you, if you fucking did this, or we got some fucking paranormal shit, guys, you know, Mm -hmm. as Dybbuk Douche does, like, go back to the command center, you know? (laughs) Well, they're all around, you know, like, okay, okay, it's about, okay. And then the time goes by and it's like, nothing happened. Nothing at all. Damn. So John Alexander is... All of that physical damage that occurred, all of the tape being moved, and I mean, hell, it takes me about 10 minutes to get a fucking roll of duct tape untaped from itself. Mm-hmm. He said that it would have to occur little over a second. Oh my God. Yeah, there's no way. And nothing was on the ground. Not, like, it's all vanished. In June of 97, the team witnessed from 75 feet away. A basketball-sized orb of a bright bluish-white light. And it just silently hovered in front of them for several seconds. It moved kind of like swaying gently. So it's like 17 feet off the ground. Fucking bright. It's bright enough that they can see the grass lit up underneath it. And it's the lights generated inside of the orb. And he said, at this moment, there was like a blanket of silence that came over the pasture. There were no crickets, no anything. And he said, they all just stared. And then it was gone. Nothing. Like, the dogs didn't even move. They were standing completely still. Dang. Then minutes later, one of his colleagues was scanning the perimeters of the trees. And he had, like, night vision binoculars. And in 97... 
they were top of the line binoculars, but they're nowhere near what we have now. Yeah. They weren't just like infrared. They had some like amplified ambient light. And so he was scanning and he said, Jesus. And he was looking straight ahead at the direction of the tree line. And he said, there is a huge black thing in the trees just in front of us. And it's moving north. It's big. And I'm not sure if it's in the trees or behind the trees, but it's blocking out the stars. Holy shit. And then he suddenly said, it's still moving. All of a sudden he yelled, it's got me. It's saying, we're watching you. And he said his voice kept rising in Mm. different octaves and it wasn't his voice anymore. And then there was silence. So the guy is looking at the tree lines and he's seeing nothing but mm-hmm. fucking trees, you know? Yeah. And this guy is like in a trance. Yeah. Muttering the shit. And then he said, okay, it's getting smaller and it's gone. And then he said, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And he just kept like repeating yeah. and repeating. And you could just like, he was shaky. Yeah. And so he asked him what happened and he said something big was in the trees in front of us and it took control of my mind. It was telling me it was watching us. He was disoriented for a while after that. And then when they went back to the trailer to sleep, he had terrible nightmares uh, and it stuck with him for a couple of days. On August 28th in 97, it was like 2 a.m., way past your bedtime. <laughs> Terry and this guy, Chad Deacon, they were out in the pasture and they were just like documenting unusual activity, you know, as one does. And so they're just watching as this light grew brighter and brighter. And he said it was like someone had opened a window. And so he grabbed his night vision binoculars and... And he said the dull light began to resemble a bright portal. And at one end of the portal, a black, large humanoid figure seemed to be struggling to crawl through the tunnel of light. Oh, my God. And after a few minutes, the humanoid figure wiggled out of the light and took a step into the darkness. And as it did, the window of light just snapped shut as if someone had flicked off the switch. So around... 2000, when, you know, the world didn't end, George Knapp, the guy I said, coast to coast, really big fucking deal, he was able to view the property because he knew Bigelow, and so he started to interview people for a documentary he was doing. Well, in 2003, Bigelow was like, look, please don't put that out because word had kind of spread anyway because he had put, like, a fence all the way around it to keep people out Mm -hmm. because... People were coming by and they couldn't, they didn't want anything weird to happen and then be like, it's happening. And then it'd be a fucking, like, hey guys, you know. Can I meditate here? (laughs) Yes. So he's like, look, please just don't do it, you know. And so George was like, okay, because you let me in here as a friend. So, and as Mm -hmm. a journalist, my word is everything. Yeah. So he said, okay. He put all of his research in storage. Well, the activity began to die down. So, you know, everyone wasn't coming out trying to trespass anymore or anything like that. So they said, okay, don't publish any pictures or video, but you can write some articles or whatever. Because then they're like, all right, let's try to see if there's any other kind of activity the same in any other part so we can, you know, so we can compare the two. 
So he published some in a Las Vegas weekly paper called the Las Vegas Mercury. And word got around. Then in 2005, George was able to release a book. And it was called The Hunt for the Skinwalker. They did find a few places, but nothing like the ranch. Activity was steadily decreasing and it kind of like went underground. Then in 2008, a new study began because all of that was funded by Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Like in today's money, he would have been a billionaire. But in then it was probably like, I don't know, like $800 million or yeah. like some. I don't know. I don't know the difference. Well, this new project was funded by the government. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency. And so it's like the investigation into all the stuff we think they keep hidden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I read something and it was like the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or AATIP, was a black Pentagon project funded by Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid from 2007 to 2012. And so he had got a few other people and he put out a bid in Bigelow Aerospace, you know, mm-hmm. a little, like a division of Bigelow's mm-hmm. yeah. thing. They were working with NASA to do more shit. And people were thinking that he wanted to do like a space hotel. Mm. Or something. You know, I mean, how people yeah. want to do it. That's what it is. They did that for a while. And then that closed down. And then the ranch was sold to a private corporation, Adamendium Real Estate, in 2016. But people say that's a shell corporation of unknown origin. Hmm. So the plot thickens. And that's where my research really stopped on the Skinwalker Ranch. But I went to Reddit and I found that George Knapp did an AMA and Ask Me Anything six years ago. (laughs) But someone had asked him the craziest story he had heard. And he did one about the ranch. And he said that two of the Ute police officers who were patrolling the area near the ranch said they... They drove around a bend, just around the river bend, and saw two figures wearing trench coats standing at the entrance of a dirt road leading to the ranch. You know, the one that you had to go down to Mm -hmm. get to it. The two, quote-unquote, guys appeared to be smoking cigarettes, and as soon as the headlights hit them, they turned their heads to look at the cop. And that's when the cops learned that they weren't human. They had dog faces. What? Yes. And he said that the two cops looked at each other and then, like, looked back at these human dogs. And they were gone. What? Completely gone. So they got out of the car to go see, like, okay, did we just fucking imagine this? You know? And they found two cigarette butts still burning. (gasps) And that was it. I just don't... Okay, like, I get the alien thing. But I just don't get the Skinwalker too. Well, it starts way before there was even a ranch. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it was there. Because it's not just this ranch. It's this whole region yeah. of shit. So the Skinwalker is from the Native American stuff. And it's on that ridge. So no one can go there. But also from that, they think that amplifies okay. all of the other shit. But they call it Skinwalker Ranch because it's 
right there on that. Uh huh. And some people call it the Sherman Ranch, but most people know it as the Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. That is so fucked up. So fucked up. And y'all, I like, I researched my little heart out, and there's still so much I left out. Like, there is Bigfoot shit, and just, y'all, it's a lot. My throat's dry, everything, but I have a story that I told y'all I would tell y'all. You said two. I'm going to tell you two. Okay, so Patty Jo, my mama, she would always tell me this story that she saw a UFO in Mobile, Alabama, where she lived forever, like where I was born. How do I not know this story? <laughs> Girl. So she said that this was obviously back in the day before I was even thought of. And this was also when UFOs were a thing happening. Mm-hmm. But she said that she was at the kitchen sink and she was looking out the window and she saw this really bright circular object and it just kind of hovered above the ground. And so she was like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And so my uncle Bob was there and he looked outside and he was like, that's a fucking UFO. Like, because UFO is unidentified object. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not like it has to be aliens. It's, we just don't know what the fuck it is. Yeah. Well, my dad, so I asked my dad about it because I couldn't remember all of it because I'm like, I swear mama told me this story. And he said that some of his, like his brother and someone else from Honduras was visiting and he was like, I trust them. I didn't trust your Uncle Bob. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, whatever. And then they were like, no, no, no. We looked out there too and we saw it. And it just hovered there for a good, like, minute, minute and a half. Long enough for everybody to come look. Yeah. And then just shot straight up into the sky. What? And it was gone. Yeah. And so, my second story is I called my sister, Susan, because I was just hoping that she knew about it because yeah. she was b- probably born then, you know? Yeah. And, of course, she didn't. But she said, well, I have a story. And I was like, okay. So she said, I'll tell you what mama did. Susan and her friend were playing Scrabble at my grandpa's house. Mm -hmm. And it was an old fucking country house. And it had like metal cabinets and stuff, you know, like old. Yeah. And they were playing Scrabble, you know, being girls. And I mean, whatever. And my mom saw him through the window. And she's, she's evil like me. And was like, hey, hey, hey. So she got their neighbor, Gary, she was like, go up on the roof with this cane pole because that's what we fished with back then. And he would hit, he started hitting on the roof. And Susan said, it sounded like footsteps on the roof, you know? And she's like, someone is fucking here. Like someone's on the roof. Yeah. Who gets on the roof? You know? And she said, okay. Santa? (laughs) She's like, okay. Okay, it's it's not a ghost or anything. It's someone. Well, about that time, the kitchen cabinet flies open. And they're like, it is a ghost. And so they run out. And my mom is like where they can't see her. So they run out to get a neighbor who has a gun. And they're like, like something's in there, whatever. So he comes over with a gun. And so my mom sees it. And she's like, Gary, get down. Get down. Oh, my God. Because, hello. Yeah. And so, like, she's like, don't do it. It was a joke. It was me. It was me. 
she gonna I'm, get Gary killed. Right? I'm like, oh my God. And I was like, that is so it. But here's the most important thing. While she's telling me this, I'm in my car and a dragonfly came and hovered over my hood. And that is my sign for my mom. Like, how crazy is that? Yes. I was like, oh my God, I have not seen a dragonfly in like forever right now. And so it was just so weird that we were talking about it and Mm -hmm. whatever. And then I saw one and it like hovered. But, yeah, so it was just, like, a really good one. And then I have a few more stories for later. I don't think you're ready for this. Oh, gosh. I am doing none other than the one some call the Mexican Madonna, Selena Cantania Perez herself. Anything for Selena's. This is one of my favorite movies. Ever. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Legitimately bawled my eyes out in oh, seventh gosh. grade watching this fucking movie. Yes. I'll never forget. Who, I was at my friend Kyla's house, seventh grade, watched this movie, bawled my mother fucking eyes out. Did you know her before? No. Me either. Okay, so we had a dollar theater here in Hattiesburg. Me and Tiffany, again, we stayed at theaters. We went and we were like, okay, Jennifer Lopez, like, what, like whoever. Like, it's a singer, whatever. Did not know anything about her. For Jennifer Lopez, no, probably, for that matter, at no. that time. Yeah, true. Like, But it was just like, okay, cool, you know, she's a little thicker, whatever. We went in there, and I was like, oh, my God, I love this music. Oh, my God. I know. I love this. And then, holy fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. And then, then I got my wires crossed because I was like, wait, it's Jennifer Lopez who is, because then she had a... Jennifer Lopez looked just like Just Selena. like her. Like, the the cast that they did for this for that movie... So good. ...was perfect. Like, her husband, Chris Perez, that that should be him. Could go on forever. Yes. Oh, my God. That is God. also when I fell in love with J-Lo, because she is my Jenny from the block. Yes. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, when she came out, because it was, like, right after this, mm-hmm. I was like, wait... She's a singer, too? Yeah. I was like, who? What? And I'm pretty sure she sang a lot of the music. Yeah. For that. Okay. Anyway, let's move on. So y'all, y'all know what we're talking about. Oh, I'm about to get fired up. Selena Cantania was born April 16th, 1971. She was born in Lake Jackson, Texas, which is just south of Houston. Her parents were Abraham Jr. and Marcella Cantania. And in the 50s and 60s, her dad had a band and it was like a kind of like rock and roll with a little bit of traditional Mexican music, which of course later would be Tejano, is how mm-hmm. you know, Mexican music goes. What was the name of it? Oh, I don't remember. It's not my notes. It was something. Oh, uh, was it El Dinos? El Los Dinos, right? Uh, yeah, I think why so. Would it, no, it would just be why would it be El Los? It would just be Los Dinos. It, Los Dinos, I think, is what it was. I don't know. I think it was Los Dinos. I think you're okay. right. Okay. But, and then they took that and did it, I think, with Selena. That was the yeah, whole yeah, band. Yeah, Selena y Los Dinos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, 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 okay. So, anyway. God, I could tell you play-by-play play of this. Like, I'm, it's playing through my head right now. Well, her dad ended up giving up his music career because, one, it wasn't really thriving. Or thriving at all. And, <laughs> two, you know, he's got a family. He wanted to start a family, support him, that whole thing. 
Selena was the youngest of three kids. And like I said, grew up in Lake Jackson, which is, a you know, about 50 miles south of Houston. But her brother, he was Abraham III. They called him A.B. And then her sister was Suzette. And she was an extra large pizza. Mm-hmm. So good for you, Suzette. So in 1980, Selena's dad was like, look, I think that we should open a Mexican restaurant. You know, it could be really good for us to, you know, make some money. And so they did. They also started a family band. Because when Selena was about six years old, her father, Abraham, started going, damn, she's got some talent. Like, she could, this kid could sing. And so he's like, look, let's start a family band. And so they did. Selena was the singer. A.B. learned to play the guitar. And Suzette played the drums, which was a big deal then because, again, it's a female playing the drums. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the 80s. Yeah. 1980 when they started it. I always thought that was so badass. Uh Uh-huh. So what they would do, well, they named the band Selena y los Dinos. And that's, like Donna was saying earlier, like a play on the dad's band's name. And they would play on the weekends at the restaurant they would also play weddings parties that kind of thing just around town and her dad would write some original songs for them to play but they were all in spanish and so selena was i think third generation american i think her parents were born here but her grandparents were from or sorry born in america and her grandparents were born in mexico i think i could be wrong her parents could have been born in mexico but she didn't grow up speaking spanish they, you know, wanted to assimilate. She spoke English with her Texas accent. You know, she's south of Houston. She's in South Texas. Like, had her little southern drawl. Didn't speak Spanish. So she had to learn how to sing these songs in Spanish. And, of course, she's nine years old. She freaking hated it. She was like, oh, why do I have to learn this? You know, I mean, well, that's what the movie told me. She was like, what does it even mean? <laughs> Do you remember that part of the yes. movie? <laughs> and he's like, turn back the hands of time or something turn like Turn back that. the hands of time, my love. Something, something, something. <laughs> she's like, wait for me to... And she's like, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go play outside. I mean, y'all don't need to rent the movie. We're playing it right here. Yes. Who rents movies now, by the way? Well, I, I guess you could from uh, Redbox. Get off me. Be kind, rewind. Okay. <laughs> Well, look, they got them a little fan base down there in Lake Jackson. You know, they they were a good band. But the restaurant failed, and they had to close it down. And so her poor dad, I just thought, I remember even, like, during the movie, not that, I mean, this this is based on somebody's real life, obviously, but I just remember thinking, like, God, his band failed. And then I think they kind of got started getting ahead, and then they opened the restaurant, and then the restaurant failed, and then it was just like, I just felt so bad that he just was like, he was such, seemed, I don't know, Abraham doesn't call me at home, but <laughs> he just seemed like such a hustler. And yeah. It's just like every turn he would hit a brick wall. Yeah. Know? But he's a hustler, so he kept going. Mm-hmm. So what they did was when the restaurant failed, they packed everybody up and they moved it over to Corpus Christi, Texas, which is where her, her father was from. Well, the family traveled all over the state as you know, in there with a band, playing at all kinds of, you know, fairs, that kind of thing, playing their Tejano music. And they kind of hit a big break when they opened for a popular Tejano group called Maz. And Selena's 11 at the time. 
and it said she like took the stage by storm like she just had such a presence even at 11 that people were you know paying attention to her it's because her mom taught her how to do the washing machine oh yeah that i will break that dance if i ever go dancing which is very rare (laughs) but i definitely will do that Mm mm-hmm Selena didn't like going to school. She focused on the music more than school, so she missed a lot of classes. So in eighth grade, she actually dropped out. Really? Mm-hmm. But she did the American School in Chicago and then, like, to finish up and then got her GED in 89. Oh, cool. Which here, well, I think there's a couple of different types of GEDs. Like, they're not all called GED, but it's general education diploma. It's the same thing as a high school diploma here. You just don't, like, you have to take a test and, and do it if you, you don't, like, finish high school in the traditional route so anyway so again they are touring fools they are going to all the different places playing their music but she did they did take some time out so that they could record some music and so on in 84 she recorded her first album and she actually got to record it for is a label called freddie and it's like this really big tejano music labels in texas and so it was a big deal oh cool but that album didn't sell well so they switched to cara and manny records label i'm sure it's monny record label but that didn't sell either so the family's living in a van they are traveling you know all over the southwest of the united states playing for these larger tejano acts they're you know i just i just think about the stress and just that blind support in that marriage that's like okay let's live in a van let's make your dream come true with your kids you know like I just cannot imagine how hard that would you know which is why I'm single (laughs) which is why I don't want kids true but in in that respect though it was him living vicariously through them so really you'd still be supporting him living vicariously through your kids so the, she, they started to branch out, too, though, because, I mean, there's only so many places that you're playing Tejano music. You know, like, so they started learning to play some jazz and blues, even though I don't really know the difference in the two. But then, like, when they, so when they did the, those larger crowds, they'd play more, I want to say, like, secular music, but that's not what I want to say. Like, yeah. popular type music, and then when they do, like, the smaller crowds that wanted the more Tejano music, then they would do that. In 1988... Selena was voted the Female Artist of the Year at the Tejano Music Awards. Selena won the Female Artist of the Year at the Tejano Music Awards for the next seven years. Holy fuck! So, girls getting big. Yes! By 89, she got picked up by EMI Records, and that was, like, a major record deal for them. The company had a new Latin music division, and so... Selena would be able to reach more people than just these kind of smaller Tejano-only music lovers, you know? Well, in 1991, she did a song with Alvaro Torres, and it was called Buenos Amigos, and that song was, like, her hit. Like, that's what started her, you know, progressing further and further. It went to number one on the Billboard's Latin charts. Dang! And so, with these new songs, because she had, you know, her next hit, Donde Quiero Que Estes. Sounds good? Sounds right. Okay. Those two, with those two songs, though, that really kind of propelled her with this 
EMI record label to just these huge audiences. Well, so obviously the band has grown. I mean, it's not still just Selena, AB, and Suzette anymore. They had to get some more people in the band. And they got a new lead guitarist, and his name was Christopher Perez. And cute little romance blossomed between them. Her dad was not very fond of him because he was like rock and roll. He was a little bit rock and roll. She's a little bit country. (laughs) And like got in trouble for trashing a hotel room once. Yeah. You know, according to the movie. And, you know, he just was a bad boy. And she was like, kind of like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, you're going to blow everything. Like, why'd you do that kind of thing? And he just, he... You know, he's, he really is like that bad boy that got scared. You know, whatever. Um, he also carried hot sauce mm-hmm. and put it on his pizza. He did. And she loved pizza. Mm-hmm. And she tried. She put a lot, though. Mm-hmm. She ate it, though. <laughs> yeah. I get such, like, even, I just get such secondary embarrassment from people. <laughs> like, just that. No, 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 no. I remember, I remember that wrong. He put too much on it. And she's like, that's too much. And he's like, no, oh, it's yeah. not. And then he was like, <coughs> like that. And like, I just get such secondary embarrassment with stuff like that. Like, just even like the flirting and stuff. It makes <laughs> me so uncomfortable and embarrassed. <laughs> I have problems. <laughs> Why she's single, folks. <laughs> Reason 417. Yeah. Well, they fall in love, and the movie kind of makes it sound like they snuck away to get married because she knew her her dad wouldn't be supportive. But a bunch of the articles I read said they snuck away because they didn't want the fans to know. They didn't want it to be a big oh. deal because she had gotten so big. Ooh. But she didn't have her mama at her wedding, so I'm kind of thinking that it leans more towards her dad not being supportive of it. So, on April 2nd, 1992, they got married. She was 22 years old. So, her dad was still writing, you know, the music and all. Selena was such an amazing performer, too, though, because... Well, let me back up. The music, he was starting to write more what they called, like, international-sounding songs. And so, her popularity was growing a lot in Mexico, the States, and then South and Central America. So, it wasn't just... You know, like South Texas and and Mexico anymore. It was it was they, she was really branching out big because her music sound was changing a little bit away from the Tejano to where it had a a little like a broader audience. And so she was, I mean, she was getting really big. And one of the things that made Selena so amazing was her stage presence, and that she would dance and she would sing, and you know, she had her classic classic dance styles like we Donna talked about the washing machine like she did that little dance move that her mom taught her when she was a kid on the boardwalk you know she did that dance move and her look was very individualized she designed a lot of the clothes that she wore like she would wear basically high-waisted leggings or jeans or something like that and then she would have on a little bustier that would like sequins and stuff which so basically she wore like a bra she was a bedazzled boo mm-hmm and like she would wear like a jacket. Sometimes she would, sometimes she would wear like her hair in a hat, you know. And then she would like take the jacket off on stage, her hair down, you know. And it was always this huge production. And then like her little like trumpet players and guitarists would do a little bit of the dance with her, you know. She just had such a huge presence that you just couldn't help but love her. And like this huge smile, and 
she was so humble and they were so true to their roots and who they are and she loved her fans like Tay Tay ain't got nothing on Selena. <laughs> Selena took care of her fans. Yeah. But she just she just was so you know good to them, stopped in, you know, signed autographs and all this stuff. It's just you know and she was absolutely beautiful. I mean, she looked a lot. I mean, truly, Jennifer Lopez looks just like her. Yeah. You know? So think, think Jennifer Lopez, 90s Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, I was going to say. More true, like, to the Hispanic look, like, with the darker hair, you know. Mm-hmm. But she, little bitty waist, big old booty, real cute, like, every woman's dream. Yeah. And every man's dream, you know. And so, just that personality is what won so many people over. Like, and she just, her presence was... You know, because I went to her concerts and all. <laughs> this is what I saw in the movie 80 million times. But, like, one of my favorite scenes is when they're at that outdoor concert and the crowd is going bonkers. The stage, like, is looks like it's about to collapse. And, I, I mean, some of this may have been fluffed up for the movie, but I really think it happened. So, the crowd is, like, rushing the stage and the stage is kind of, like, giving way a little bit. And, like, people are getting pushed up at, at you know, the fence. Like, that, I just remember that one part of that girl's face. Like, she's getting smushed in the fence. Like, it could have been, like, a stampede type thing. And if, because as they were pushing, it was impacting the stage. And so, she just, like, hushes the crowd. Like, she just had enough of a presence to be able to be, like, shh. And everybody stops to see what she's going to do next, you know. And she just, like, slowly, quietly starts singing. And it just, it's like the crowd's meditating, you know. And and then she slowly picks it back up where they've calmed down enough now they're not rushing the stage. And nobody's going to get hurt and die. Because, I mean, it really could have been really bad. And that could have been the end of her career. You know, you never know. Oh, yeah. Well, in the movie, the venue guy was like, Y'all have to get off the stage. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, she can do it. She yeah. can do it. Dottie, remember how when you lived in Houston, we went to the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo? Uh-huh. Okay. So for those of you who don't know about Houston's Livestock Show and Rodeo, they have every fucking year. It is the entire month of March. And it is one of the, apparently it's one of like the biggest rodeos in the States, like as far as money for the winners. They have a lot of stuff, like, happening the whole month, even during the day. Like, schools will go for field trips and stuff because they do a lot with, like, livestock. Obviously, livestock show and rodeo. But, like, kids who are part of agricultural 4-H programs, that kind of thing, can win cows, win, you know, shit like that for them to raise for their farms, blah, blah. And then as soon as the rodeo is over every single night, there's a concert. And so... It's a ton of people. Like, I mean, uh, Selena Gomez has been there. I've seen Reba McIntyre there. You and I saw a uh, band Perry, didn't we? Yeah. I've seen Zach Brown band, like, I don't know, legit. I've, how long I lived there? Five years? I probably saw them four times while I lived there. George Strait performs there. Like, huge. I saw Lady Annabelle in there. Like, like big names. But then some of it's like... A couple of nights, like three or four nights, they'll have Tejano music. Mm-hmm. It's not always country. Sometimes, like I said, Selena Gomez. They've had some other like pop people too. But anyway, and it's in well, it used to be called the Astrodome, but it's where the Houston Texans play. 
So it is a like NFL arena. It's pretty amazing the the production that they have. But anyway, like they have dirt on the floor and stuff to make it the where the rodeo is in there. And then like I said, as soon as the rodeo's over, they roll out this stage and then they have like, you know, five parts to it or whatever that they have to hook onto it every night and it takes them like three minutes. And then the stage is a revolving stage. Yeah. So Selena played and sold out the Houston Rodeo. Like, it's huge, y'all. Like, over 60,000 people sold it out. And so, in the movie, when you see her, like, on a stage, and it looks like people are, like, kind of up in the audience, that's supposed to be at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And it's the part where she, like, drops the rose. That's supposed to be at the rodeo. Which I think is so cool. Like, But I had a friend that told me, like, he saw her when he was a kid at the rodeo. Oh, and like damn. He said, you know, when she died, I guess that's spoiler alert. I mean, I guess duh. But he said that like when she died, like it was such a huge deal. He was like, I cried as a kid, as a, you know, yeah. a young boy, like that she died. Gosh. So she, I mean, she just meant so much to so many people. The last year that she played at the rodeo, she drew a bigger audience than Reba McIntyre. Dang. Uh-huh. I think and George Strait, but I could be wrong about George Strait. Dang. Yeah. Okay. In 1994, she had an album, and it was called Selena Live. And she actually won a Grammy for the Best Mexican-American Album. After that, she had another album that came out in July of 1994, and that was called Amor Prohibido. Sorry if I'm butchering these pronunciations, y'all. And that one sold more than one million copies. Dang. Yeah. Oh, and that one got the Tejano Music Awards Album of the Year. So, like, she wasn't female artist year. That was Album of the Year. Wow. Which is such a big deal, I think. Another thing, too, that made Selena so remarkable is, you know, I said she grew up speaking English. When she was doing those Spanish-speaking albums, she would have to, like, tour in Mexico and places like that. And, you know, she needed to do press tours. So she's touring Mexico, so she needs to do these press tours, and she doesn't speak Spanish. And so she has to kind of quickly learn conversational Spanish. You know, she knows it in these songs, but she didn't really know what she's singing most of the time. You know, she kind of learns, obviously, because how can you be a performer and not know what you're singing? So she knows, but conversational Spanish, she doesn't really know. And so I saw this quote from her husband, Chris. He has a book out. And he was like, she picked it up so fast that she would just start speaking Spanish. And I'd have to be like, slow down. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> like, how, you know, because she just, she was just so smart. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that she did was she started doing, she was really into fashion. Which, like I said, she designed all of her costumes and all of that. And so she was starting this fashion label and, you know, had her little fashion business that was growing. So she was not only making money from the music, she was making money from the fashion and they started a fan club, and she needed somebody to run it because that's a lot of freaking work when she's, you know, she needs to send letters and sign, you know, autograph pictures and all of that, and she's got music and the fashion company. She needed somebody to run it for. So the family hired Yolanda Saldivar to run or to be the president of the fan club, and it was not a paid position, but Selena took good care of her, like, bought her, like, cowhide rugs, purses. I mean, she really took care of her she just didn't get a salary she changed record labels to a more english language record company and so she started recording more english albums 
And so she's she's in the recording studio. She I think she got four four English songs recorded, and then they had a mix of some t- traditional Tejano songs as well. They hired Yolanda because she was like a friend's cousin or a cousin's friend, or you know, it was like a, somebody newer but not yeah. really kind of thing. Well, Abraham, remember that's Selena's father. You know, he's looking through the financial records and he's like, shit's not adding up for the fan club. Like, people are saying that they're paying their membership fees and they're not getting the stuff that they're promised. And she had some boutiques too. And so, you know, just the, just the money from the boutiques and the fan clubs because Yolanda kind of started taking over the financial stuff for the boutiques as well. Just shit wasn't adding up. Abraham had figured out that Yolanda had embezzled more than $60,000 from them. Mm-mm-mm. I hate a thief. Me too. Me too. Because, you know, here's the thing. When somebody works so fucking hard for their money. Yep. Especially, like, Selena. Like, they came from nothing. Mm-hmm. They had, you know, they have literally scratched their way to the top with blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. Done everything they could possibly do to better themselves and their family to get where they are. And for someone to take something that's not not theirs, but Selena's, is yeah. not okay. I mean, in, in any sense of the... And not just because someone has money. They Like, I know that sounds like just, just because they came from nothing that you shouldn't steal from. Or you shouldn't steal yeah. from anybody. But it's like, fuck, they worked so hard for that money. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a, a dad give them a million dollar startup. They, yeah. can't, they did it on their own. And I think she was supposed to be a huge fan of Selena's. Oh, yeah, she was. Yeah, so it's like, I love Selena. I want the best for her, but yet I'm stealing fucking money from her. A shit ton of money from her. Like, did she really think that she wouldn't get caught, you know? Right. So, Abraham takes the information to to Selena, and they decide, of course, to fire her. And so, they have a meeting with her, and like, look, look, what what is this? Like, Selena's like, how could you do this to me, you know? And so, they fire her. But they weren't even, I don't even think they were going to press charges on her. I think they were just like, you're fired. You can't, don't, don't do anything with the name, Selena. Like, get out of here. Yeah. Well, Yolanda the whole time is like, I didn't do anything wrong. And she's like, look, I have some financial documents that I still have. And they will prove that I am innocent. Like, let me just get them, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of March, she calls Selena and says, okay, I got the papers. And she's like, look, I'm staying at a day's end. Can you come and meet me at the motel? You know, just look, can you please just come along? Because I just, you know, I want us to be able to talk about this. Like, I love you, Selena. I would never do anything to hurt you. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. And Selena wants to believe her friend. I mean, she thought this was her friend, you know? Yeah. Well, Selena instead went with Chris, her husband. And Yolanda said that she didn't have the documents after all. And so Chris and Selena left. Well, the next day, nobody really knows what happened, but Selena left her house at 9 o'clock in the morning on March 31st. And at some point, for some reason, went back by the day's end. And at 11.50, police get a phone call saying that there was a shooting at the motel. Selena had been shot in the shoulder by Yolanda and had managed to crawl out of the hotel room to the lobby and to say, you know, Yolanda shot me. Yeah. 
She's rushed to the hospital. They call her dad, you know, goes to surgery. They gave her five pints of blood. And and really, her dad objected to that because they were Jehovah Witness. Yeah. And most, I don't know if at all, every Jehovah Witness I know, but believes that you shouldn't re- receive blood products, like even in an emergency like that. But she got... She was, I mean, it was really Chris's decision. Yeah. She was married, but they gave her five pints of blood, but she still died an hour later of getting to the hospital. While all of that's happening, while Selena's at the hospital with her family literally dying, Yolanda has now locked herself in her truck. She's got her gun to her head. She's talking on the phone to police, losing her shit. It's like a hostage situation, basically. Yeah. Where they're trying to convince her to. Put the gun down, come out of the truck, yada, yada, yada. And she's all like, I didn't mean it, you know, but like, if I can't be in Selena's life, nobody can kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a 10-hour standoff fuck. with Yolanda. In the car. Here's my first thought. What the fuck? Did she not have to pee in 10 fucking hours? <laughs> she probably peed herself. I would have to pee. I'd be like, can somebody pass me a water bottle, though? Because I'm real thirsty. Uh-huh. I have a leg cramp or something. I'm like, can look, can we get some sandwiches delivered? Can we get something? How'd she have that much gas to run? I didn't oh, always on E. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, before we came and recorded, I had to get gas. <laughs> yeah. That's a good damn point. Because mm-hmm. it's fucking, they, they're in Texas. You know that shit was hot. Uh-huh. And, and it was March, so you know it was fucking hot. Yeah. At least 80 degrees. Mm-hmm. Texas is windy, though. It's pretty flat. But the the things are up. The windows are up. True. I mean, honestly, though, why they could be down. What are the cops going to do? Shoot her? You know what I mean? Like, they could shoot her through the window, too. It's not like the window is some, like, oh, protection, you know? True. Well, on the reenactment, I saw... They were the up. windows were up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After Selena died, Abraham was quoted saying, I know Selena was set up. This was premeditated. Saldivar got her hand caught in the cookie jar. She had her trial in Houston, and she was found guilty. It took the jurors less than three hours on October 23, 1995, to find Yolanda Saldivar guilty of first-degree murder, and she was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 30 years. And that was the maximum prison term allowed in Texas at the time. Dang. So she is serving her prison sentence, and she will be eligible for parole March 30th, 2025. Wow. Six years. Isn't that crazy? Wow. It's just like, this. What I think this story, like, aside from, I just, I think that part of what makes this story so heartbreaking and fascinating and all the things was that, Selena was such a good person, it seemed. Yeah. And so genuine and so loving and caring and had such a big heart and could have been huge. You know, like her her career was only going up. And, you know, after she died, they released that album that she, that um, English-Spanish crossover album that she'd been recording. It's called Dreaming of You. And, like... That album is fucking good. Oh, so good. Like, I love those songs. Like, yes. I, I would have been a huge fan. You know what I, I mean? I know. And so, I mean, she just, she was going to be big. And just, not only was she so young, she'd been married like a year. She had her whole life in front of her, wanted kids, wanted a fucking farm with all these different animals. And, you know, she just had such big dreams. And they were just 
cut short, you know? For, yeah. For what? Because bitch got busted stealing money. Well, she was a nurse. Go back to fucking nursing. Yeah. You know, and, and during the trial, she also said, it was an accident. The gun just went off. Well, one, they said that the gun that she used, I think it was like a thirty-eight caliber or something, revolver, needed like 11 pounds of force to pull the trigger. Wow. Like, you didn't just accidentally do 11 pounds of force to pull the yeah. trigger. First of all. Second of all, you're a nurse, and you didn't call for, you didn't call 911, and you mm-hmm. didn't try to do a damn thing to help her. Yeah. So, mm, it wasn't an accident. Or you've been right there and not hiding in your motherfucking truck for 10 hours before you gave up yeah. to police. You know, you'd have been trying to help her. You'd have been fucking doing, stopping the bleeding or some shit. Stick right. your finger in the fucking bullet hole. I don't give a shit. Do something. Yeah. Just shows to go you. You can't <laughs> trust anybody. That's right. Damn. All right, gotta go. Gotta go watch the movie again. <laughs> I y'all, if y'all haven't seen it, it like, like, I mean, obviously, we basically just gave you the whole movie. But it is, it's called Selena, and it stars Jennifer Lopez. I think it came out in 97. If y'all watched that show, Switched at Birth, on ABC Family, the lady who plays Selena's mom played one of the moms on that show. And she looks the same fucking age. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay, so y'all, she told me that she knew exactly what she was doing. Because I did this big, long fucking story thinking I was going to have to be solo again. Well, she could be here, but, you know, like, she's been laid up with the plague. So... (laughs) I was like, okay, I can handle it. She's like, no, bitch, I got something. I know what I'm going to do. It came to me. Uh, she said, it came to me. In a Finnergan coma. <laughs> <laughs> she said, you're going to laugh. And so I'm thinking it's something like Typhoid Mary again, <laughs> but something like that. I had no idea, but now I get it. You're watching fucking TV or something? Uh, I don't know what. I think I was watching. I don't know. No, because <laughs> if, if I was. No, I don't know what meant. It just, I'm telling you, it just came to me <laughs> in a Finnergan coma. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'll start taking Finnergan when I can't think of a story. Right? Well, I would have never guessed that in a million years. Love that you did it. I can't believe it's episode 64 and I'm just now doing Selena. Right? You know, I feel like I haven't heard a lot of podcasts do her. Mm, me neither, actually. Yeah. Hello, anything for Selena's. Oh my God, y'all, This that movie has so many good quotes. So many. We say them on the daily. Le- like, legitimately. Yes. I'm telling you, Ever After and Selena, I can work that into any fucking conversation. Randomly, Tiffany and I saw that movie, right? Well, when I went to California... <laughs> I, I was hoping that you would tell this story. Oh, well, okay, I'll tell that story too. But when I went to California, this was when I was in 10th grade. I was introduced to Costco. Mm-hmm. We had no idea what that was. You know, like, nothing. Every fucking TV on there had Selena going. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh my God, I love this movie. So, of course, we had to go watch it afterward. Well, what Carrie's talking about is, back in the day, you know, you listened to CDs. And my sister... Keep in mind, Donna's dad is from Honduras. Yeah. <laughs> like, grew, like came to America when he, he was, was 16. 16. Like, so, but Donna doesn't know Spanish. Like, Donna and none of Mm-mm. her siblings know Spanish because he didn't speak it in the household. Right. Yeah. Which I feel like is very common. I feel like when people immigrate here to mm-hmm. the States, they're like, if they know English, they don't teach their native language to their kids. Yeah. Because they just want to fit in. Yeah. Well, and he said... He said that 
English to them was more of the inferior language. And so women. English? Yeah. Huh. And so women knew English and that's what they spoke. And so like he did, he just, he had three girls. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, he never really spoke it to Lori and Susan. And then when Kenneth came, I mean, he did, that was mm-hmm. fucking. 15 years later. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it just wasn't a thing. The only Spanish I know is, like, broken from high school. And my dad's sister has a Spanglish going on. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, she does. Look, she says Anna for every, like, for gall, they. And she'd be like, Anna went to the store. Anna got that. And I'd be like, this bitch is telling on me and I did not get that. Because I thought <laughs> she just couldn't say my name right. <laughs> it oh, took me a God. long time. And then I was like, oh, Anna. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, okay. (laughs) But anyway, so, flashback to California, and my sister, she put J-Lo, I mean, not J-Lo, well, it was, but she put Selena in, and she was singing all the fucking words, while her husband is like, how do you know this? I didn't know you spoke Spanish. Yeah, and she's like, oh, I didn't, but she's like not saying it. I'm telling you, her and Carrie, <laughs> they could go on a fucking singing contest and they would not know any of those damn words, but you sure think they did? <laughs> they can be on the beat. They know all the shit like, oh, you go up here, you go down there, whatever, but they don't know a word. <laughs> One word. She was she was singing Lori Spanish. Uh-huh. And now like... Now I do that shit, and I'm like, mm-hmm. God, it's fun. Yes. <laughs> it's fun. Just sing. Oh my gosh! But yeah, it was so funny. Like I don't, I didn't know you spoke Spanish. She um, didn't even tell him though, did she? She just was like, yeah, yeah. Like let him believe that yeah, she, she knew was exactly like, yeah. what she's singing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! And I mean, they have been married for years at this point. Well, bitty bitty bumba. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Okay, what do we learn? If it if a fucking house seems too good to be true, it's too fucking good to be true. True. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, if that's one thing that we have carried throughout this whole damn podcast, we were like, it was such a nice house. It was our dream. It had everything, and it was so cheap. Motherfucker's haunted. Uh-huh. Er damn time. Someone in our group is moving, and they said they have found their dream house. And I was like, oh, good, congrats. But you know what happens in our story to yeah. dream homes. <laughs> because it's true. Mm-hmm. So true. Also, Carrie said it during the episode, you can't trust anyone. Isn't that what you said? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wait. What? Because you can. This lady said, you're like a second daughter to me. Mm-hmm. I love you. All of this shit. And it's like they... Treated her with kindness after she stole from them. Mm -hmm. And she still called her back to shoot her. Mm -hmm. And you know she didn't try to shoot her in the shoulder. Mm -mm. She was trying somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy to think that she died from a shoulder wound. You know, that's what's always blown my mind about, like, when you watch, like, I Survived and stuff like this. And people get shot seven times. In the head. Yes. And get bludgeoned in the head multiple times. All these horrific things happen to them, and they live, and they're fine. 
I mean, I'm sure they have some stuff. I mean, aside yeah. from, like, PTSD. I mean, I'm sure they have yeah. some medical things that go on. But, Jesus Christ. And she gets shot once in the mother... Like, when it's your time, it's your time. It really is. Because you never know. I mean, like, I know this seems simple, and it's probably... This is not the reason. But, like, had she not passed, then... Because that was around the time of Gloria Estefan. Mm-hmm. J-Lo's career... I mean, because this movie was a... A huge jumping point for her. Oh career. yeah, she, that would have. She never was taken, a fly girl. Yeah, that would have never taken. Like there was, just, there's just so many moving mm-hmm. parts of like other people's career mm-hmm. that would it have been had Selena been alive to grow and be who she could have been. Yeah, I mean, not that that's like, you know what I mean. It's just like it's just interesting the moving parts of how when one thing happens, the domino effect that it creates. Yeah. It just sucks because she was such a nice person. Yep. And so young. So young. Just start, you know, just really starting her life. And that's how they always go. Like that guy, the case that you have said that really bothered me, and I always will bring it up, is the one from Louisiana, David Todd Lee. Mm Because he targeted people that were beginning their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's like you took away, and those people too, a lot of them had worked so hard to mm-hmm. get where they were, and he just randomly just took it. And that, oh, just angers me. Worse than people not using their blinker. Number three is watch what you eat because you could get salmonella mm-hmm. and almost die. And then your ankle could randomly hurt where you had to go to the ER mm-hmm. and all the shit. And now you're on a scooter. Mm-hmm. And you have the worst balance and on demand. <laughs> I mean, you're basically playing Mario Kart with yourself. And it's a highly used scooter. Because it's my brother-in-law's. <laughs> and he had this foot surgery that he was on that bitch for like six months. Yeah. And I think my dad used it a little bit too. So there's some cracks in it. <laughs> in the padding. And it's hot. So I have on shorts today. And it's fucking scraping my knee. It's like I've been giving one knee blowjobs around here. <laughs> Girl, that's why you have to get on the bed and you say, come to the edge, honey. <laughs> I'm just going to sit right here uh-huh. on my butt. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed it. Watch out for those one-legged blowjobs. <laughs> um, I mean, unless you're into them. Hey, if you are, wear a knee pad, use a pillow. If I learned one thing from Pretty Woman, it was to put your knees on some motherfucking pillows. Mm-hmm. She said, hold please and grab a pillow. <laughs> Oh, God. And always have a buffet of safety. Because, you know, she pulled mm-hmm. all... Okay, sorry. Again, another... Uh, uh-huh. Movie you can quote. Yes. Okay. Anything else you want to say? As always, thank y'all so freaking much for listening. You can always help us by reviewing, rating, subscribing, all of those things. That is super, super helpful to us. We appreciate all of you listening. And remember... Creep it real and And don't don't get scared. scared.